Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. A very good morning to you, and you're very welcome to today's Signpost webinar. I hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. My name is Mark Gibson, and I'm head of the Chagask Outreach and Innovation Programme. Uh, the Signpost series is brought to you by Chagas in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. And today uh, we're going to have a Signpost webinar with a little bit of a difference. Uh, you'll be glad to hear we have no sign, uh, PowerPoint presentations today. And uh, we're joined by Professor Frank O'Mara, who is director of Chagask. Uh, you're very welcome, Frank. You're welcome. Good morning, everybody. And uh, good morning, Frank. And we're also joined by Pat Murphy, uh, who is head of the Chagask Environment Knowledge Transfer Program. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. So today uh, we ha- are going to hear uh, perspectives um, on uh, farm sustainability. And um, unfortunately, the minister can't be here with us live. So he has uh, recorded a-, a piece for us. So we're going to play uh, the minister's uh, recording uh, first, and we're then going to uh, have a, a Q&A session with uh, the new director of Chagask, uh, Frank O'Mara. Um, so we would encourage you to send your questions through to us as soon as possible uh, or throughout the, the, uh, the session today, rather than leaving them to the very, very end. So we're going to play uh, the recording from the minister. And uh, we'll follow that up with uh, our discussion then with uh, Professor O'Mara. So, uh, Yvonne, if you could play the, the Minister's recording first. Professor now. O'Mara, distinguished guests, I'm really delighted to be part of the 88th Signpost webinar. The concept has been a magnificent initiative to impart knowledge to agricultural and farming communities. The Signpost initiative is doing exactly what it says in the tin. It's pointing the way to a more sustainable future for our great sector. The agriculture sector is sometimes in the firing line for criticism by those who are not aware of the huge strides we have made, are making and will make in meeting our climate ambitions. As a sector, we are pioneers and our farmers are leading out more than many in other areas. In Acclimatise, we have a credible and practical roadmap towards climate neutrality. Indeed, we are the first sector to have such a comprehensive roadmap. We now have Food Vision 2030, which is the strategic plan for our sector, which will guide us over the next decade. At the core of this plan are farmer and environmental sustainability. Indeed, I don't know of another sector that has an initiative like this delivering high-end advice on a weekly basis to so many viewers. Similarly, no other sector appears to me to have to be in the fortunate position of having an organisation such as Chugusk to deliver research and policy-related materials so broadly to their industry. Chugusk, an initiative such as the Signpost programme, will be the shining light for us to ensure Ag Climatise and Food Vision 2030 are successes. I have backed Chugusk and its exciting research, and I will continue to do so. Farming, as I mentioned, is sometimes seen as the sole cause of our emissions. And this is certainly not the case, and it's certainly not the view of government, nor is it government policy. Unfortunately, what is sometimes overlooked is what agriculture has to offer from a climate change perspective. 
As we feed 40 million people from sustainable family farms, we will become more carbon efficient. We will grow more hedgerows. We will ensure biodiversity flourishes. We will protect water quality and we will be the envy of the rest of the world. Everyone on this call can and will contribute to how, as a nation, we continue to punch above our weight from an agricultural perspective. We are world leaders and it is down to initiatives like this signpost series and the people viewing today that we will continue to lead the way. However, not everything is straightforward. The Climate Action Plan set a target of a 22% to 30% reduction in emissions from the agri-food sector. And let me be clear that this is a challenging target, but it is a target that I believe is achievable. It is a target that is in line with the Programme for Government commitment of recognising the importance of agriculture as well as the science behind our sector. It is a target that is significantly lower than other sectors of the economy. All sectors will have to make a contribution to this, of course, including agriculture. And this will mean stabilising and then reducing the total carbon emissions from our sector. But the old trope of cutting livestock numbers is something that I have never wanted to do and is certainly not government policy. We must reduce our emissions, yes, but that does not mean reduction in food production or in livestock numbers. There are wins we can achieve in other areas while protecting output and productivity in agriculture. For example, we must use the knowledge that we have to, have to hand to improve our nitrogen use efficiency. We're working hard to secure the derogation at the moment and farmers and advisors must work hard to meet the commitments that have been published around this. Derogation farmers have a huge role to play in improving our water and air quality as well as our biodiversity. Under the new Common Agricultural Policy we have revised eco-measures and agri-environmental measures and we will oversee these also. These will get us so far but we need to change how we work too. There is a lot of change coming for both public and private agricultural advisors. We can't ignore the environmental and sustainability issues. They must be top of the agenda at farm level. Advisors and consultants are, are trusted by farmers. Farmers pay for the knowledge they deliver. Each advisor has a responsibility to challenge farmers too for the enhancement of their business and for the benefit of future generations. I will back farmers to deliver for the environment through schemes that will also financially reward them. We cannot forget economic sustainability. Farmers are facing economic challenges through increasing fuel, fertilizer and increasing feed prices. And it can be seen as an opportune time for advisors to shine in this area too. Using science, soil samples, slurry samples and putting together nutrient management plans that can help to mitigate, mitigate increasing fertilizer prices. Professor O'Mara and the rest of the team, I thank you all for the invitation here today. Our challenges might be great, but the opportunities are greater if we continue to work together. I wish you all a very happy Christmas and a safe and sustainable 2022. And our thanks to uh, Minister McConnell Oak for those kind words. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the minister has been extremely busy uh, in the last couple of days, given that the, the doll is wrapping up. So uh, we do appreciate him taking the time to, uh, to, to record that message for us.
so if we could move to our next uh, part of this morning's session, uh, Frank, uh, thank you again for, for joining us this morning. Um, and uh, you, you, I know you've, you've had to step out of uh, some meetings to attend, uh, come, come along today. So we do appreciate that. You have um, recently uh, moved from a role as a director of research within Chagas and, and now uh, director of Chagask. Uh, how has the last, your first 10 weeks in the job gone? Uh, thanks very much, Mark, and delighted to be with you here this morning and with all your, your guests, and um, also really grateful for the Minister for his uh, message in this uh, webinar and his very positive comments for, for Chagask. And, and I think his very positive comments overall for the industry, and I think it's it's really important that we, we um, you know, we take on board that, that positivity and and that of optimism, I suppose, for, for how we develop our, our industry. So look, um, you're right, Mark, I'm in, I'm in the job about 10 weeks at this stage. Uh, it feels like, some days it feels like just yesterday I started and other days it feels like, God, I must be at this two years now or so, you know, it's, uh, it's quite been quite busy, I guess, but look, I wouldn't have expected anything, anything else. And um, really fantastic, you know, it's, uh, there, there's so much go, going on in Chagas. Obviously, I've worked in Chagas for a good few years now and was, was well aware of the, the breadth of activities across both advisory and education and research. But, you know, it's, it's, it's put you in a different position when you're leading that. And look, there's, there's just so much going on to be proud of. And um, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, privileged and thrilled uh, to be doing what I'm doing. So, look, in, in relation to, um, I suppose, some of the, the milestones over the last couple of, of months, since I took on the job, like one of the jobs of the Chagas director is to sit on the board of the, the CCAC, the Climate Change Advisory Council. And so I took up that role on the, the 1st of October. Now, I had been kind of shadowing, I suppose, uh, Jerry, our previous director for the, the previous month. And But, you know, October was a really busy month for the Climate Change Advisory Council because we were finalizing the, the carbon budgets and uh, the technical report that accompanied uh, those budgets and Chagas, you know, the, the role of, of agriculture and land use is very central to Ireland's emission story. So, you know, there was a, a huge amount of input that, um, that Chagas was, was providing into the, the Climate Change Advisory Council in terms of technical information and, and technical um, uh, modelling and so on. So, so that, that was really busy. And, um, you know, we, we had to, I think we had our last meeting on the carbon budgets on the October Bank Holiday Monday. So that's how I spent my <clears throat> my first bank holiday as director. We had a quite a long meeting that day just to just to it was nothing particularly difficult, but just to to sign off on the various, you know, final bits of the report. And and then obviously, you know, the, the carbon budgets led to the, the sectoral targets for agriculture. And, you know, there was a, a huge amount of um I suppose discussion among ourselves in, in Chagask and with stakeholders and with government and, and so on in relation to those sectoral targets. And the minister has, has referred to them quite a bit in his talk. And look, I'm sure we'll talk about them a bit more uh, th this morning. So, you know, that to me, um, that, that activity uh, around the, the climate change and the sectoral targets is, is going to probably dominate uh, our work in Chagas for the next couple of years. It's going to be a really important part of it anyway. So, um, so if I was to pick out one thing from the first month mark, or the first couple of months, Mark, that would be the thing, obviously, that, that would stand very much in, in my mind. You mentioned that target of uh, 22 to 30% reduction in, in um, emissions from agriculture. How achievable do you think that is, Frank? Okay, so a really good question. And 
Look, in, in, in our view, in my view, and, and the view of my, uh, of my colleagues in Chagas, including yourselves, um, would be that's a, that's a very difficult target, but it is achievable. We can see a pathway towards it. And, um, you know, that's a reduction of, of about five to seven million tonnes of emissions off a starting point of about 23. So certainly um, a very challenging target. As the minister said, it's the lowest target that any sector got. And that's not because people, you know, felt sorry for agriculture or anything like that. It's just that it's recognised that emissions reductions is quite difficult in the agriculture sector. And the other thing I think that was taken on board was the the, um, the very big negative impact on farm incomes and on rural economy incomes of a necessity to, to have a forced cut in the national herd. So I suppose our proposition is that we can achieve that target um, through efficiency and through technology on our farms. And we see it in a three-stage, uh, I suppose, roadmap. The first stage is to implement the measures that we already know about in the MAC that have been, you know, in, in the MAC core for the last couple of years that we've talked about, like improving nitrogen efficiency and uh, switching to protected urea and using clover to replace chemical nitrogen and, and so on and so forth. And that, that's the first step. And the second step then is, you know, to, to complete out the development work and the planning on a number of other scenarios that are, you know, almost at the point of being ready to deploy on farms. And that's things like, strategies to reduce uh, the, the time to get to finishing weights and beef cattle. If we could, you know, get, get there a couple of months sooner, uh, it would take a lot of emissions off the lifetime emissions of, of a beef animal. Um, there's also a lot of exciting work around additives to reduce methane emissions. And we expect the first of those to be on the market, um, you know, in, 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 the, in the near future. And um, I suppose, you know, developing strategies for deploying those on, on farms and, and, um, how farmers might use them. That's that's going to be hopefully happening over the next year or two. And um, we also have quite a bit of work going on on, on other fertilizer uh, ways or other ways to reduce fertilizer emissions other than just the switch to protected urea. So we've we've those those basket, I suppose, of nearly ready technologies that over the next two to three years we'll hopefully start seeing available to farmers to reduce emissions. And the third step then is, is what I, I term the kind of more longer term research um, strategies. These are, are things that are we're working on now, but there's still a lot of work to go before they're ready to, to deploy. And the, the two standout things there would be the, um, the feed additives that I just mentioned to develop a version of those that could be used at pasture because all the, the work really internationally around feed additives has been to, to make to, to allow them to be used in an indoor situation where it's much easier to control the diet and, and so on. So obviously that's where you'd start first. But for us in Ireland, we, we need uh, methane inhibitors or things that will reduce methane while animals are at pasture. So it's a very different scenario. So, so we're working on that, you know, kind of slow release versions of these additives and, and so on. That, that's one of these longer term research strategies. And the other one would be the, the, the whole area of animal breeding. And can we reduce animals that are, can we produce animals that re, have reduced methane emissions just because they're, they're bred to do that? And, you know, we've had some very exciting work uh, published in the last couple of weeks from our colleagues in, in Grange uh, that showed, you know, that there is this genetic variation within animals um, for methane emissions, even when they're fed the same diet and so on. And, and that gives animal breeders the, the opportunity then to go and select for the low emitting animals. 
and breeding also has a huge role to play in terms of just improved efficiency on our farm. So improving the EBI or improving our, our beef genetic uh, merit also contributes to to reducing emissions. So, 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 so they're the, the longer term strategy. That's the that's the the tail end, I suppose, of our pathway to reaching these targets. But our proposition is that um, through uh, tr- through uh, the research to develop the, all, all the additional technologies and the the adoption of the current technologies and the new technologies by by farmers, uh, that yes, there is a pathway to these targets without a need for an, an enforced cut in the national herd. You mentioned uh, adoption there, Frank. Um, that's probably, at this stage, one of the biggest uh, challenges uh, facing us between now and 2030. I mean, a lot of the, the research has been done on the, well, the existing technologies that are available, and we know that there are those, those additives in the pipeline. Um, what do you see Chagascoff, the, the role of Chagascoff over the next number of years in supporting that adoption at farm level? Look, it's, it's hugely important, Mark. And um, I think, uh, you know, Chagas, in our statement of strategy, we say that sustainability is going to be at the core of everything we do. And, and that's absolutely the way it will have to be, I think. Um, and now, just, you know, to remind people, for us, sustainability is a holistic concept. Obviously, it's the economic sustainability of, of farms first because farmers have to make a livelihood. But very much to the fore now is the environmental sustainability and also the social sustainability. So I think um, we are going to have to orientate ourselves in our advisory service to, to really support farmers around the adoption of these technologies. And, and it's not just the adoption. Right? I think we, we have a big job to do in helping farmers to understand uh, the nature of these targets, why it's important that we achieve them, and, and why the strategies that we're proposing, why, why, why they work and how they work and why they're actually uh, things maybe not to be afraid of on farms and that are, are, I think, part of a very positive future for farming for the future. So that's a huge job for our, our advisory service. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and obviously the signpost program is going to be the, the spearhead of that. And, um, you know, we're delighted that we have that program established now and we've, we've over 100 demonstration farms around the country and all the co-ops are involved, all the meat processors are involved and many, many other partners as well. So, look, I, I think we, we have a platform now where we have the potential for an all of industry effort uh, around supporting farmers and involving farmers, indeed, not just supporting, you know, they are actors in this as well, Um but in uh, tr- tr- trying trying to get ourselves to the stage where these technologies uh, are being adopted at a widespread level on, on our farms, you know that that is the, uh, the the priority now for our advisory services. Mm-hmm. And it, like we all know that uh, climate change it requires a societal response. Um, what do you see as the wider role um, of of industry uh, to support that effort to? To, uh, to, to drive adoption and support the, 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 the overall, I suppose, supporting each other in, on, the, on this journey? Well, look, that, yeah, there's, there's a couple of ways, I suppose, that it's really important that industry are, are, um, are involved in this. First of all, there, there's reinforcing what we're all doing. So, you know what I mean? I think that the co-ops and the meat processes, they're very bought into the idea of, of moving towards a more environmentally sustainable production system. So, you know, it's not as if there's any persuasion needed with them. That, that's the journey they're on. And that's the journey I suppose we're on. And it's very important that we are coordinated and reinforcing each other's messages. So, so that's the, the first, um, I suppose, reason why it's very important that we, we, we are working together in this. 
but the, the second reason is that the, the processors, um, be they co-ops or be they, they uh, meat factories, have a hugely important relationship with farmers that is different than our relationship. We've, we have an advisory relationship uh, with our farmers, and that's a privileged position to be in because we're, we're very much trusted by farmers. But the, the co-ops um, and the processors, they've got a business relationship as well. Now, in the case of co-ops, usually, you know, there's a no, the, the, the farmers own the co-ops and so on. So it's not just a very, you know, it's not a straightforward business business relationship. But, but the, the co-ops and the meat processors are purchasing the product from farmers. And that gives them, I think, a huge opportunity to, to send this, the, the, the signals to farmers. Look, this is the way that uh, we need to be producing milk or meat for the future. And, and you know, uh, in, in terms of how, how the payment systems operate, that that's reflected in, in, in payment systems. And I know that's something that, that um, the co-ops and the processors are, are, are very interested in looking at. How can they incentivize or reward the type of, of um, production systems that, that we're going to need for the future? So, so that's the second really important way, I think, that processors, in terms of the, the signals that they can send and the, the rewards that they, they can give, uh, it's a hugely important role that they can play. And I suppose that there's also the input suppliers. Um, they have an important role to, to play in this, this overall movement, if, if, if you want to call it that. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, very often the, the points of contact for farmers uh, are the people that they purchase uh, inputs from, whether it's fertilizer, whether it's feed, whether it's seeds, sprays and so on. And, and they depend... Uh, you know, greatly on the, the technical advice that they get from the people uh, selling those products. So again, it's, it's I suppose, really important that farmers are not hearing one message from Chagas and a different message from the, the people that are selling them input, that, you know, we, we do have, I suppose, consistency in terms of the, 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 the messages that we're saying to farmers and the advice that we're, we're giving them. So, so look, we, we're, we're very, um, you know, very, it's very important to be working with those input suppliers as well. I'm conscious that a lot of a lot of discussion and the narrative throughout 2021 has, you know, has and quite rightly, I suppose, on, on has focused on climate change. But, you know, there are the other uh, the, the other environmental uh, metrics that we, we really have to, to look at biodiversity, there's water quality, uh, soil quality as well, uh, which isn't often uh, discussed. Um, and I know there's a lot of work happening on the, the, the biological aspect of soil quality as well within Chagas. But what would be your, 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 your view to uh, the, the, the work that needs to happen uh, to address those issues? Um, and, and is there a risk that we could uh, take our eye off the ball in, with regard to those uh, other aspects of environmental sustainability uh, whilst focusing, if, if we over, over focus on, on climate? Yeah. So I don't think so, really, because um, because a lot of the the measures that you're you're taking to to reduce the climate impact are the same ones that you're talking about to reduce the the water impact on water quality and the impact on on ammonia emissions and and and, and you know can also contribute to enhancing biodiversity. So you know you're talking about things like. Um, I suppose, reducing and improving the way in which we use nitrogen fertilizer contributes across all, all, all those dimensions. And, and that's a central uh, plank of what we were trying to do in climate um, as it is on, on water. So, and, and you know, you, you, we, 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 we maybe haven't talked a lot about the, the sequestration side uh, this morning, but, you know, planting hedgerows and woodlands and enhancing our existing hedgerows and, and woodlands has a huge contribution, not just to carbon sequestration, but also obviously to, to biodiversity and can play a very good, uh, a very important role in terms of uh, 
uh, water quality in terms of impeding pathways of, of nutrient transfer into water bodies. So look, all, all these things are, are in, interconnected. Obviously, there's some of them are very, maybe specific. So like a feed additive to reduce methane emissions probably won't do a lot for water quality or biodiversity, for argument's sake. So it's, it's pretty specific. And likewise, you know, improving maybe some of the, the point source um, sources of, of water pollution uh, won't have any impact maybe on, on climate change. So there are specific things to, to the specific targets that you might um, you, you might meet. But, but by and large, it's a, it's a package of measures uh, that, you know, we, 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 we have to be thinking about that improve all those uh, sustain, environmental sustainability metrics and very much keep our eye on the ball as well that uh, they're contributing to um, the, the economic sustainability of farms, which many of them do. Um, you know, like reducing uh, fertilizer use and switching to protected urea, both of those measures actually save, save money. Uh, improving the, the genetic merit of the herd, getting more grazing days in. They're all positives from, from um, a financial point of view as well. Now, it's not that everything is positive from a financial point of view, like it costs you money to plant hedges, it costs you money to, to, to plant woodlands, it costs you maybe a little bit more to maintain them properly. So we're not saying that everything you know, is, is a win-win and trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, it's not. But by and large, the package of measures that you're, you're talking about um, uh, are, are kind of a holistic uh, set of measures. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it like it's, it's a set of juggling balls and you've got to, you know, you've, you've five or six things on a farm that you have to be trying to watch now with relation to the, the environment and keep all those balls in the air, but they are giving you the overall picture and the overall package. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's a lot coming at farmers, uh, whether it be environmental sustainability, whether it be, uh, antimicrobial resistance and, and dealing with all of those challenges. So I think it's really important that there, there's a, there's there's industry support there and and obviously support from the advisory services. Um, we had uh, Donald Sheehan uh, speaking on our, our webinar there some months ago. Donald, as you know, he's a, a yeah. co project coordinator of the Bride Project and uh, has been very uh, articulate around the whole area of um, you know production and environmental sustainability working hand in hand. Uh, but he often makes a point about the, the the lack of rewards or signals for farmers from the marketplace around environmental sustainability. Do you have any any views on that, Frank? Look, I do. Um, I think it's as I mentioned earlier. I think it's a, a key role that the the processors and uh, of milk and meat can play in terms of sending those rewards. I guess that the bigger picture, though, is how does the how does the consumer actually reward um, farmers for for the type of practices that they they keep saying that they want farmers to adopt that's mm -hmm. the challenge you know we we've we've had decades now of of probably cheap food and um and maybe that's changing a, a little bit you know or, or certainly the 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 um, sharp edge of it maybe changing a little bit and we do see more and more of our shelves filled with kind of premium type products but but that's ultimately what wh where where it has to to start and from you know that um, if these are the things that society values and these are the practices and the ways that society wants its food to be produced, well, you know, if, if, they, if there's a cost associated with them, well, then that has to be borne. And it's just the same as we see with other aspects of, of our economy. You know, for instance, electric vehicles, there's a, there's a cost of those to the taxpayer because there's foregone BRT and, and so on. So, but that's the choice that society is making. And the same with retrofitting our houses. We're going to spend a lot of taxpayers' money 
uh, in retrofitting houses and the, because the payback to the individual householder would be so long that you know none of us would do it so we're but we we are in the business now of of making those choices as to how as a society we want to um we want to uh, spend our 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 resources or deploy our resources and the same really we'll have to follow through on on the food side that the the if, if we're saying that we want food produced in a way that's going to cost uh, a bit more money well i think the rewards uh, are you know that the cost of that needs to be uh, passed back to the primary producer or the, the you know the he need he or she needs to be compensated for the increased cost that 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 they might might incur but the the challenge obviously is to get a market that works like that um and that that isn't uh dominated by by people seeking to put stuff on the shelves at the very very lowest cost I'm going to throw a, a, a big question at you now, uh, Frank. Uh, so they've all they've all been big ones, Mark. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm only warming up, Frank. <laughs> um, no, if like we're 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 just coming to the end of 2021 and uh, entering into so nine years left to 2030. Um, have you thought about what what agriculture farming would look like in 2030, or what would, what would you like to see? Uh, the landscape, I, I don't mean yeah, the, yeah. the physical landscape, but the agricultural or the agri-food sector to look like in, in 2030? Yeah, look, that is a big question, Mark. And, and um, you know, just maybe as a kind of a, a lead into the answer, it's going to be a bumpy ride to 2030. You know, we're we're talking a good bit about emissions now, but as you mentioned, water quality is hugely important as well. And next year, the likelihood is when we're reporting, when the EPA are reporting on agricultural emissions for 2021, uh, they're likely to be higher than they were in 2020 because we know we've had increased uh, nitrogen fertilizer use this year, and we have um, we have a small increase in the size of the national herd. So they're the two big drivers of emissions. So look, it's likely um, that emissions will be up, and you can imagine here in, uh, probably that'll be around October next September October next year, uh, 2022, one year after the publication of the climate budgets, and the figures will be coming out not just for agriculture but for all the economy and pointing to an increase in emissions probably rather than a decrease. And you can imagine the, the reaction that that's going to get. Now, it, it may be the case in other sectors as well. So it will really, really put the spotlight on, on the achievement of, of the climate target. So, but look, that's, I, I, I'm saying, I'm looking at it as we're starting from now. So 2021, you know, that's done and dusted. We really have to look at 2022 and uh, what we can do in, in relation to that and so on every other year. And look, I, I think, as I said earlier, there is a pathway to achieving these reduction targets. So when we get to the end of that pathway, what will we look like is, is your question. And look, I think we're still going to have um, uh, an agriculture in Ireland that's that's dominated by livestock production, by, by dairy and beef production. Um, might talk about diversification in, in a minute, Mark, because I think that's an important area as well. But we'll still have predominantly livestock production. I hope we have a, a thriving tillage sector because I think that is very important for our for our livestock sectors and for other industries like the brewing and distilling and and, and so on, uh, that we have that here in Ireland and it can make a, a big contribution to to um, to our, our emissions uh, targets as well. And we, so so within our, our farms, then um, what are we going to see? I, I think we we'll have to see uh, farmers using a lot less uh, chemical nitrogen and relying uh, for their grass production or their their crop production on uh, on clover, so taking nitrogen out of the air instead of instead of taking it off a pallet, 
and um, also using the nitrogen that's on their farms, that they're producing on their farms themselves, the organic manures, using those to absolute best, best effect and getting every last ounce of, of growth potential out of that organic manure on their farm. So, so that I think will, will be one of the big changes, Mark, that um, we'll, be, we'll be getting our nitrogen in a lot, in a lot uh, different way, uh, in a lot of different ways than we are today. Um, I, I hope we'll, we'll also see farms that have uh, additional hedgerows and, and woodlands planted on them. Um, I think we'll be very conscious by, by 2030 of what we're doing and the impact that it can have on soil carbon and hedgerow carbon and probably be, be dealing with, um, with schemes and with, with ways of, of monetizing and capitalizing on, on that. Um, so I think that that'll be a big difference. I'd imagine we'll, we'll have animals that are, again, you know, we'll continue on the journey of, of improving the efficiency of our national dairy and beef and sheep flocks. And um, what we'll, we'll probably also see fairly widespread use of feed additives uh, to try to reduce methane emissions. Um, and I suppose we'll, we'll hopefully see a landscape as well that in particular on dairy farms, the, the roofs are covered with solar panels because again, while it doesn't directly reduce agricultural emissions, it's one of the ways that agriculture can actually make a few bob and contribute to our renewable energy targets. And um, and look, I'm sure th there'll be there'll be many other kind of minor things as well, but they, they'll be the big ones. Like the type of fertilizer we use will obviously be probably dominated or hopefully dominated by protected urea or other or other low emission fertilizers uh, by that stage. And um, so, so look, they'll be the big things and, 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 and the outcomes will hopefully be that we'll have reached our targets for climate change, we'll have improved our water quality and uh, our biodiversity will be enhanced. And that more, more important, I suppose, that, than anything from, from the perspective of the individual farmers, that they feel that they're getting properly uh, compensated for the job that they're, they're doing and that farm incomes have, um, have, have also gone on a good journey over the next decade. I'm just going to ask you one, maybe one more question, Frank, before we go to audience questions. And do keep your questions coming. Uh, we have lots of questions coming in so far. Um, uh, Frank, you mentioned uh, renewables um, and, and uh, diversification. Uh, what, what, what is your thinking there in terms of uh, the development of the sector um, and you know, that adding value? How, how can primary producers uh, extract more value from, from the, the, the activities that they undertake at, their, at, at a farm level, um, at a land level. Um, we see a lot of emphasis on the, the bioeconomy. Um, and I'd be really keen to get your, your thoughts on that and at what direction you think we need to be heading on that. Okay, so again, just maybe to, to, to step back from the question a small bit first, I suppose one of the things that I certainly want to, to, to ensure that people think about Chagask um, when I finish in this job is that we're a Chagask that supports all sectors of, of agriculture, whether no matter what sector you're in that you feel, yes, you're, you're getting good support from Chagask. That doesn't mean obviously every sector gets the same level of support because sectors differ in size and dairy and beef are, 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 are two big um, drivers of, of agricultural activity and the big uh, I suppose numbers of farmers are in those, and you, well, obviously sheep is also a, an enterprise with a lot of a lot mm -hmm. of farmers engaged in it. But uh, you know, so so that means I think for us uh, that we're we're going to give 
um, hopefully adequate support to farmers that wish to diversify into other sectors. And, and whether that's forestry or whether that's organics or whether it's growing grass for anaerobic digestion or whatever it might be, that we would adequately support that. I suppose organics is the one that's getting a lot of attention now because of the government commitment to to increase the area under organics from currently, I think, less slightly less than 2%. Uh, up to seven and a half percent by 2027 and that's obviously a massive growth in that sector and we need to be able to respond and support um, the, uh, any farmer that wishes to to go down that that journey I think all of us that are involved in in supporting farmers in that journey so that's that's Jagas, it's the department it's for B and so on we have to be very mindful of of the market for organic produce um, and also very, it's not just here in Ireland that uh, there's targets to increase organic, it's all over Europe. So, you know, what we don't want, I suppose, to end up with is, um, is very disappointed organic farmers that have got in uh, or indeed are existing organic farmers that find that, you know, the market is, is flooded with organic produce and, and they're taking conventional prices for for, you know, producing a product in a different way that is more expensive to produce. But I, I think it's, look, um, it is a very important part of government policy now, and it's one that, that we hope to be uh, putting additional resources to in 2022 uh, and beyond, both in terms of the advisory and in terms of the, the research uh, resources we have uh, available to it. And forestry is obviously, you know, another key part of the the um, the, the options for, for landowners and, um, and obviously going through a difficult uh, time at the moment in terms of uh, new uh, afforestation and the the harvesting of existing forestry and look the sooner that's sorted out the better because um, for our long-term targets out to 2050 when we talk about uh, climate neutrality well forestry has a huge role to play in that so we need to get that uh, back on track um, so I've lost track now Mark of the exact question because oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about diversification but yes yes no 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 I, I think it, it, it you've, you've addressed that that and uh, into, you know there, there are resources I know going into additional resources going into supporting organics uh, within within Chagas maybe we'll turn to Pat to some audience questions here lots of interest in in our discussion this morning. Yeah, I think a, a, a huge number of questions about that organic uh, theme that you've just dealt with, uh, so I, I won't go there. There's an interesting, almost philosophical question here, which I'll, I'll put to you, uh, which is the greater risk for, for Chagask and indeed the sector in the current situation? Moving too quickly and leaving farmers somewhat behind in terms of speed of adoption in the short term, alternatively, uh, moving too slowly, uh, uh, and, but ultimately missing our, our, our targets, or is there a happy medium? Well, look, I don't think we're going to move faster than farmers want to move because it's actually not, Chagas doesn't move here, it's farmers move. You know, farmers are the ones that adopt the practices and make the changes, and we're there to support them. And, and our role is to ensure that they have the best information and that um, any questions they have or any support they need that, that we're... Um, that we're there to, to, to provide those answers. So look, we're, we're very conscious as well of, of what motivates farmers. You know, they're, they're obviously, uh, you know, the first thing that they have to do is make a, a livelihood and a living uh, from what they're doing. So, so look, we, we're, we're very conscious of, of, of maintaining our strong relationship with farmers and, and where our role sits with them. So the other side of your question then is about moving too slowly. And look, there's a huge risk for the whole sector um, of not moving fast enough. And maybe I'll put it another way around. There's a huge opportunity uh, for the sector by moving fast now and making some progress in the next year or two, in 2022 and 2023. 
and showing uh, that agriculture is actually on a journey, on a pathway towards uh, reducing its its emissions and, and and achieving its targets. And and by doing that over over uh, over the next two years, I think we have the opportunity to change the narrative, and uh, you know to be to be seen as as a sector that yes. Um, it is a big part of Ireland's emissions, and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. But it is a sector that's addressing its its emissions and is on the the pathway to achieving its targets. And it would be brilliant, you know, to to see farmers getting a bit of praise for 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 making progress along that journey, um, rather than sort of being finger wagged at and told you need to you need to change, you need you need you need to do this. So that's the opportunity that's there by by making a, a big effort over the next two years to start adopting. The technologies that we're talking about. A question there and a salutary reminder to us that the world doesn't start and end at Chagas, that there is a bigger uh, 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 advisory support community out there. To what degree will Chagas be supporting that larger advisory uh, community? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, a really good question. And uh, we're, I'm very conscious anyway. I think in Chagas, we are conscious. Look, we're, we're a big fish, but we're not the only fish in the pool at all. And there are other, lots of other people that have a very, very important role to play in terms of the whole, um, the, the whole direction that the sector takes. And uh, obviously, uh, other people like the, the private consultants play a huge role in terms of their interaction with farmers. And certainly we want them to have the, the tools and, you know, the knowledge uh, when they're talking to, to, to farmers to, to be able to, to talk about the, the type of transition that, that their farmer clients might want, might want to be going on or might need to be going on. So absolutely, we'll be working uh, with them uh, through this. And uh, obviously, our Connected program is one of the, the key vehicles uh, with which we do that. But look, we, we'll, 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 have to, we'll have to work harder on, on that relationship as well. There's a, a, a number of questions around the theme of the resources, the, the really valuable environmental resources we have in, in terms of our hedgerows, in terms of our high nature value grasslands, and pointing out that Chagask is associated more with the development of the, the very commercial sector. What can you do to support the, the, the less developed, if you want to call it that, or, or the, the, the sectors where there is this, uh, a high quality habitat uh, in place at the moment. Yeah. So look, that's when I, I, I think I said earlier in answer to one of Mark's questions that, you know, I want Chagas to be seen as an organization that's there supporting all farms. And, and if that perception is there, that we're, we're just about supporting the, the, the intensive sector. Look, that, that's not true, actually. And, but I think we need to make sure that the perception uh, is, actually reflects the reality that we support um, all types of farmers. In terms of um, farmers with, with, with high value um, resources on their farms, other than, you know, very, very productive pastures or crops, um, I think the whole monetizing of those is going to become a feature of the, the next decade. And how can we uh, put systems in place around carbon farming, as it's often called, or, or identifying uh, the, the, the habitats and features on farms that are that are there. And I think the, the survey that the Department of Agriculture, not, not a survey, it's a, I suppose a pilot project around uh, sur- establishing uh, biodiversity and habitat baselines on six and a half thousand farms it is an indication of, of you know, what, what the government and, and what EU policy is, 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 I suppose, thinking of. And the first step, obviously, is to know what, what you have there. I think some of our own work that we've been doing over the last um, few years in, in that area, uh, people might have seen as reflected in the 
the um, the National Farm Survey Sustainability uh, Report, where we we outlined um, the results of of um, a, a biodiversity survey on our farms. Uh, John Finn's work that he'd been he'd been doing on the National Farm Survey farms. I suppose to try to come up with with um, uh, ro- robust uh, yet relatively rapid ways of assessing. Uh, habitats on on farms. So I, I, you know, we're very conscious of the need to be able to do that, and that's why we've had research in in that space. And I think all between that and between what the department announced recently, you can see the direction of travel uh, that's there. And we, we certainly hope to be in a position to um to support that and to develop systems and technologies that can allow us to assess and monitor uh, um, habitats and the level of biodiversity on farms. There are a number of questions in there about the potential role of uh, uh, the horticulture sector uh, as a land use. Uh, What's your view on on that and what role can Chagas play in in, in supporting the horticultural sector? Yeah, again, it's it's one of those diversification opportunities and one that I see as as actually quite an opportunistic one and one that's very important for us. And um, you know, we've we've allocated a number of new positions in, into that area um, already, and I think we'll be filling those early in the new year. One around uh, peat alternatives for the horticulture sector, obviously a, a very, a very important issue at the moment. And the other in the area of top fruit production, because we do see great opportunities in things like apple production to, to substitute imports uh, into the country and develop viable businesses um, here. Uh, in, in Ireland for, for Irish farmers and and um, and rural dwellers. So look, there there are lots of opportunities like that. I think there is currently a review of the horticulture sector uh, commission uh, ongoing. It was commissioned by by the government uh, a couple of months ago, and that's due to report you know sometime early in in the new year in the first in the first or second quarter, and that should identify the development opportunities, and then we'll be seeing how best we can support those. Um, but I, I do think it is uh, an area where there will be opportunities. I, I don't see them generally as being big land using opportunities. It's not going to, you know, they, they don't require a lot of extra land like the 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 Apple uh, project that we're, we're going to work on over the next couple of years. It could develop, you know, 20, 30, 40 millions worth of import substitution, but it won't take a lot of land to do that. So they're not going to be replacing large sw- swathes of our land with horticultural crops. I think that. You know, it's it's more the niche opportunities and the high value opportunities that we'll we'll see emerging. But they're hugely important in terms of uh, in terms of the economic activity and the economic dividend and the and the jobs that they can bring to rural areas. I think we have a question here just uh, from a farmer um, that that I think I think captures a uh, I suppose a narrative that uh, we have seen throughout the signpost farm uh, or signpost uh, webinar series over the last year or so. Uh, if I just read it, I might give you a break for a minute. Um, it says most farmers, by and large, have followed the advice of Chagas and other government organisations over the years, and as a result, farmers are being blamed for more than their fair share of climate change. How can we, as farmers, be sure that the same organisations can get us farmers out of this mess? Uh, we seem to be going back to how my grandfather grew grass and grew corn. Uh, has much of the scientific advice received over the last 30 years been unsustainable? Look, uh, a really good question. And we'd probably, we could spend the morning really on, on a question like that uh, um, alone. Look, the way I view it is agriculture is on a huge journey and has been, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years. And the way 
um, the way that we farmed when I was young uh, was very different than the way we farmed now. And by and large, I think agriculture uh, has developed using the, the best knowledge available at the time and, and in, in the direction that was required at the time. And if so I don't think we're going back to the way we were farming 30 years ago, because if we were, you know, we'd have an awful lot of very, very hungry people in the world. I think agriculture has upped its game tremendously over that time in terms of the, the amount of food and the type of food and the quality of food that's been produced. And, and, and we need to keep that. We absolutely need to keep that because food security is, is you know, hugely, hugely important for the world. And uh, uh, we have a growing population, so we, we can't take a step back. Uh, in terms of the the amount of, of food that we produce, so the the, the journey we're going on now um, with agriculture over the next or the, the part of the journey. It's not like we're starting a journey, as I said. The part of the journey we're going on now for the next decade or two it is a way. It is a journey to find ways to keep the food production, uh, you know, very much the fore, but to do that um, in a way that's that's kinder to the environment. And you know, it's very hard, I think, and, and very unfair. To blame farmers for you know practices that have resulted in greenhouse gas emissions when none of us knew much about greenhouse gas emissions 20 or 30 years ago you know this was not so how can you be kind of blamed for something that wasn't a, a problem um you know in in your past but it's we know it's a problem now so we have to go and address it and that's why we have to find ways to to grow our grass or grow our crops uh using less artificial nitrogen uh, and, you know, we know a lot of the technologies. It's all about soil fertility. It's all about optimizing the use of organic manures. It's all about drawing carbon or nitrogen out of the atmosphere rather than, than taking it off a pallet. And it's all about, you know, making sure that when you are applying a bit of nitrogen that the, the crop actually needs it and, and, and you'll get value out of it. So, so look, th that's the journey. I just see it as, as another, you know, we've, we've come to a turn in the road, but we're still going forward. Yeah, and reducing that reliance on fossil fuels, I guess, is the... It's going to be the major driver of, of a lot of this. Uh, a couple of questions there, Frank, in relation to short-term issues facing us immediately in relation to particularly fertilizer and prices of a lot of inputs. What are Charles going to do to support farmers through the next six to eight months in, in relation to dealing with those? Yeah, so look, a really good question. And, and I think, you know, that's going to be the dominant issue for the spring. Uh, you know, obviously everyone is aware of, of the, the price uh, hikes that have, have come with fertilizer in, in the latter end of this year and that are uh, in the pipeline for next year and, and probably also, you know, challenges around supply and so on. So look, what we're doing at the request of the minister um, is uh, developing a campaign to support farmers to, to maximize to the absolute the value they get from organic manures on their farms and to you know make best use of whatever nitrogen that they have to purchase in uh, to, to their farms so our our colleagues are, are working in that campaign we'll we'll um you know we have a, a series i suppose of 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 mini campaigns around early nitrogen around around slurry application for early grass, slurry application for, for silage and, and so on, you know, at different stages of, of the, the spring as, as they're relevant. That, that's, that's what we're, we're going to be doing in relation to that. And look, I would say we're, we're going to, we'll put a big um, effort into supporting farmers that wish to, wish to put more clover or, or multi-species swords on, on the ground next year, but particularly, I suppose, species that are going to take nitrogen out of the air because, um, you know, that is long term, I suppose, one of the ways that we can take a lot of uh, fertilizer, chemical fertilizer out, out of the system. And um, there's probably never, you know, never a better opportunity maybe to get people's interest in that. And I suppose for me, 
Um, we saw last week, we saw the impact that fertilizer and other input prices uh, are, you know, for feed and, and fuel and so on are going to have on farm incomes next year, a very, very big impact. And if we were to take any good out of that, it is that whatever we do next year to spare that nitrogen and to, and, and, and other fertilizers and, and get best value out of them, that we continue to do that for the following years, even if fertilizer, as it hopefully will, comes back down in price. So, you know, always seize the opportunity, I suppose, in a crisis. So we'll be working with farmers to try to minimize what they have to spend on, on nitrogen by maximizing what they have in their own yards or tanks and um, making best use of what they do have to buy. A, a, a question here. You've talked about a lot of things that Chagas are going to do. Are you going to have the resources at your disposal to allow you to do everything you want to do? Yeah, look, a really good question. Obviously, we don't have unlimited resources. And certainly, you know, I think everyone, um, uh, including uh, government, you know, acknowledge that, that that the role of Chagas is probably never more um, needed than it is now with with all the kind of changes that that, that are facing uh, farmers. So, look, we, we're certainly, um, you know, putting it to, to government that, yes, there is a, a resource issue here. I think, you know, naturally you would expect them to to kind of push back on us and say, well, look, you already have a lot of resources and, and that behoves us to prioritize. So we are going to have to look at what we do and, you know, I suppose, see where we can um, where we can uh, m- manage our, our, our processes or manage what we do or, or select what we do in a way that we are putting the, enough resources into the priority areas. And yes, hopefully that will uh, means uh, additional resources, but it also will behoves us to to prioritise into the important areas. Uh, I suppose another there's a, a kind of a theme of a number of questions there, and it's almost a, about a plea to Chagas to assist in the process of improving the messaging so that that uh, farmers aren't being blamed to the to the extent that there are. Is there something there that we we can do to support the industry? Yeah, I, I, and look. I think where I would like to see Chagas positioned in that is is like the 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 source of trusted knowledge. You know that we are we are the people that maybe understand the system. We understand the science behind emissions. We understand the science behind farming. So that if, if somebody wants to get the expert opinion on something that 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 Chagas are are seen as and regarded by all as as a trusted source of that that knowledge. So and and I think. You know, I think there, there are lots of people out there because food production is, is kind of so so um, interesting to everybody and so intrinsic to everybody's lives. Everybody has, a, has an attitude and a view and an opinion on food. And, and very often they mightn't be, maybe be, be as informed as, as, as you'd like on some of the intricacies of food production and, and agriculture's relationship with the environment. So look, we, we, certainly, um, we certainly see a role, you know, for putting out the science and putting out the knowledge there in you know, in a, in a, an even manner, in a in um in, in a way to, to inform the debate and uh, that 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 we can and, and should be playing. And look, we we obviously um put the bulk of our communications efforts into communicating with with our stakeholders. Uh, you know, in terms of providing knowledge and 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 so on. And, and but increasingly, I think we we do see the need to communicate to the wider public as part of our communication process. And and we have a number of channels through which we, we do that and, and we will be trying to strengthen those over the coming years. 
Okay, there's a, what to me is a very good question here. The, the, talking about farming sustainably, what are far, Frank's thoughts about promoting careers in, in farming and agriculture? And then there's a, a, an add-on question, which has, has actually cropped up a few times this morning, uh, about the, the issue of uh, gender balance and, and promoting agriculture as a, and farming as a career for, 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 for our women. Yeah. So, look, um, two, two related questions, I, I guess, uh, Pat. And first and foremost, look, you know, if, if I um, was a young person looking at, you know, weighing up my career options, we'll say, I'd be very optimistic about agriculture. You know, agriculture, absolutely, food production is, is going to be is an essential part of the, of the activities that the world needs for, for the future. And uh, food demand is growing and... Um, so I, I, I would be very optimistic that agriculture is a sector that's going to continue to offer uh, career opportunities for, for young people. Obviously, different sectors have different levels of profitability and so on. And, and you, you have to go in with your eyes open in terms of how you might be able to make a living out of it. I think our education service and, and that is hugely, hugely important and one that, you know, Chagas will continue to prioritize and uh, the demand actually for education in agriculture, both in, in Chagas colleges and in in IOTs or technical universities or our universities is very strong. So I think people are, are actually uh, voting with, with, with their feet in terms of, of that, um, that uh, opportunity that they see in agriculture. And in terms of gender, look, we're, you know, I, I think for us, it's, it's very important. We, we lead by example as an organization. So we have, um, we, we have like many organizations, we're, we're pretty well gender balanced at the bottom. And if you look in particular, maybe across our research and education services, uh, um, you know, we probably have 50-50 or maybe even better gender balance, but maybe not quite as good on, on the advisory side. But the problem is, as you come up to the top um, and, and look at me, you know, and, and the, the senior managers in the organization, you know, we're, we, we are dominated by men. But I see it changing. Uh, there is a there is a kind of a tidal wave coming, I think, of, of, um, of females in our organization. And I think they, I always encourage them to keep pushing at that ceiling there and, and it will break. And for, for the wider agricultural community, um, you know, and, and I suppose in particular farmers and people involved in farming, again, look, it is, uh, it is I suppose, and has been male dominated. But I, we're, we're seeing increasing women uh, doing tremendous jobs in terms of running farms and we'll give them whatever support we can, you know, on, on top of, I suppose, the support we, we give to all farms. So if there are things like women only discussion groups, look, I'd be delighted to that, that Chagas can support those women in agriculture movements. Absolutely. Look, we, I, I think it's, I think it's really important. I think any industry, you know, needs new talent coming into it. And if you're only drawn on half the population for that talent, well, you're missing a huge opportunity. We have to, we have to see that our full population, males and females, or, or any other um, uh, uh, people, see agriculture as an opportunity and draw from all of those talented pools. Okay, Frank, uh, we're just up on time. I can't believe uh, it's half past 10 already. Uh, thank you so much for being so candid in your responses to this morning. And uh, I know there was a few a few tough ones in there, but uh, I, I think uh, you 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 gave uh, people a very very honest uh, appraisal of, of the situation within Chagaskan and the wider agricultural sector. So we really do appreciate that. Um, maybe you want to just say a few words to our listeners, given that it's our last. Uh, 
yeah. webinar for the year? I would sure look um and look be very brief. The main thing I, I want to do is is wish people a very happy Christmas. I'm sure uh, whether you're a farmer or whether you're working in the food industry or working in a government agency like us or or whatever, um, you know, 2021 will go down as a, another kind of a, a tough year in terms of COVID and in terms of lots of the things that that um, we had to deal with during the year. So everybody deserves a little bit of a break now. Obviously, our farmers will still be feeding animals on, on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve and Stephen's Day. So look, we really respect uh, you you for that and our own farm workers do the same thing so you know we we're we're we understand that but look I, I hope everybody gets a bit of time to spend time with family and to reflect on on what's important in in life uh, with your family over Christmas and look look forward I would say if you're a farmer uh, look forward with optimism to the future 2022 is going to be tough with prices input prices but you know long term there is a very very I think good um, uh, story for the industry and a, a good future for the industry. So I wish you very good farming uh, for 2022 and beyond, and uh, stay safe as well, and and be be very conscious of, of the need for for health and safety on our farm. So that's that's my message, Mark, and thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to your listeners this morning. Well, thank you, Frank, and uh, I want to say special thanks to our minister for his. Uh, recording earlier on and um, his support and also we've had Minister Hackett uh, uh, presenting on the, the signpost webinar during the year so great support from the Department of Agriculture and also I want to say thank you to our partners um, who have uh, supported the, the programme as well um, and particular thanks to our production team uh, Yvonne Maher who's in the background uh, today Andy Boland who is our series producers and uh, all of our contributors uh, that have uh, added so so much to the series over the last uh, year and a half. It's hard to believe that we're into our 88th uh, edition of the, the, the Signpost series. Who would have believed that we would be here in this same situation um, so, so many months later? Um, but look, we're, I think we're all making the most of us. And, and we, look, we really do appreciate the questions and the comments coming through from, from viewers throughout the, the series. So thanks again. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.